are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. For thousands of years, devices have been used to measure and keep track of time. The current system of time measurement dates back approximately 2000 BC in summer. The ancient Egyptians divided the day into two 12-hour periods and used large obliques to track the movements of the sun. They also developed water clocks, which were probably first used in the precinct of Amnu-Re, and later outside Egypt as well. They were employed frequently by the ancient Greeks, who called them Clepsidrae. The Shang Dynasty is to have used the outflow water clock around the same time. Devices which were introduced from Mesopotamia as early as 2000 BC. Other ancient timekeeping devices include the candle clock used in China, Japan, England, and Iraq the time stick, widely used in India and Tibet, as well as some parts of Europe, and the hourglass, which function similarly to a water clock. The earliest clocks relied on shadows cast by the sun, and hence were not useful in cloudy weather or at night 
and required recalibration as the seasons changed. The earliest known clock with a water-powered escapement mechanism which transferred rotational energy in intermittent motions dates back to the 3rd century BC ancient Greece. Chinese engineers later invented clocks incorporating mercury-powered escapement mechanisms in the 10th century, followed by Arabic engineers inventing water clocks driven by gears and weights in the 11th century. Mechanical clocks employing the verge escapement mechanism were invented in Europe at the turn of the 14th century and became the standard timekeeping device until the spring-powered clock and pocket watch in the 16th century, followed by the pendulum clock in the 17th century. During the 20th century, quartz oscillators were invented, followed by atomic clocks. Although first used in laboratories, quartz accelerators were both easy to produce and accurate, leading to their use in wristwatches. Atomic clocks are far more accurate than any previous timekeeping device and are used to calibrate other clocks and to calculate the proper time on Earth, a standardized civil system, coordinate universal time, is based on atomic time. Many ancient civilizations observed astronomical bodies, often the sun and the moon, to determine the times, dates, and seasons. Mes methods of sextismesal timekeeping, now common in Western society, first originated nearly 4,000 years ago in Mesopotamia and Egypt. A similar system was developed later in Mesoamerica. The first calendars may have been created during the last glacial period by hunter-gatherers who employed tools such as sticks and bones to track the phases of the moon or the seasons. Stone circles, such as England's Stonehenge, were built in various parts of the world, especially in prehistoric Europe, and are thought to have been used to time and predict seasonal and annual events, such as equinoxes or solstices. As those megalithic civilizations left no recorded history, little is known of their calendars or timekeeping methods. Sundials have their origin 
in shadow clocks, which were the first devices used for measuring parts of the day. The oldest known shadow clock is from Egypt and was made from green schist. Ancient Egyptian obelisks constructed about 3500 BC are also among the earliest shadow clocks. Egyptian shadow clocks divided daytime into 10 parts with an additional four twilight hours, two in the morning and two in the evening. One type of shadow clock consisted of a long stem with five variable marks and an elevated crossbar which cast a shadow over those marks. It was positioned eastward in the morning and was turned west at noon. Obelisks function in much the same manner. The shadow cast on the markers around it allowed the Egyptians to calculate the time. The obelisk also indicated whether it was morning or afternoon, as well as the summer and winter solstice. A third shadow clock developed circa 1500 BC was similar in shape to a bent T-square. It measured the passage of time by the shadow cast by its crossbar on a non-linear rule. The T was oriented eastward in the mornings and turned around at noon so it could cast a shadow in the opposite direction. Although accurate shadow clocks relied on the sun and were useless at night or in cloudy weather, the Egyptians therefore developed a number of alternative timekeeping instruments, including water clocks, hourglasses, and a system for tracking star movements. The oldest description of a water clock is from a tomb inscription of the 16th century BC Egyptian court official Amenemhat, identifying him as its inventor. There were several types of water clocks, some more elaborate than others. One type consisted of a bowl with small holes in its bottom, which was floated on water and allowed to fill at a near constant rate. Markings on the side of the bowl indicated elapsed time as the surface of the water reached them. The oldest known water clock was found in the tomb of the pharaoh Amenhotep I. He lived between 1525 and 1504 BC suggesting that they were the first used in ancient Egypt. The ancient Egyptians are also believed to be the inventors of the hourglass, which consisted of two vertically aligned glass chambers connected by a small opening. 
When the hourglass was turned over, grains of sand fell at a constant rate from one chamber to the other. Another Egyptian method of determining the time during the night was using plumb lines called merkets. In use since at least 600 BC, two of these instruments were aligned with Polaris, the North Pole Star, to create a north-south meridian. The time was accurately measured by observing certain stars as they crossed the line created with the Merkets. Water clocks, or clepsydra, were commonly used in ancient Greece following their introduction by Plato, who also invented a water-based alarm clock. One account of Plato's alarm clock describes it as depending on the nightly overflow of a vessel containing lead balls which floated in a columnar vat. The vat held a steadily increasing amount of water supplied by a cistern. By morning, the vessel would have floated high enough to tip over, causing the lead balls to cascade onto a copper platter. The resulting clangor would then awaken Plato's students at the academy. Another possibility is that it comprised two jars connected by a siphon. Water emptied until it reached the siphon, which transported the water to the other jar. There, the rising water would force air through a whistle, sounding an alarm. The Greeks regularly maintained timekeeping records as an essential part of their astronomical observations. In Greek tradition, water clocks were used in court. Later, the Romans adapted this practice as well. There are several mentions of this in historical records, literature of the era. For example, in Theteuses, Plato says that those men, on the other hand, always speak in haste, for the flowing water urges them on. Another mention, the clerk of the court began bawling again this time summoning the chief witness for the prosecutor to appear. Up stepped an old man whom I did not know. He was invited to speak for as long as there was water in the clock. This was a hollow globe onto which water was poured through a funnel in the neck and from which it gradually escaped through fine perforations at the base. The water clock in this account was one of several types of water clocks used in that era. Another consisted of a bowl with a hole in its center which was floated over water. Time was kept 
by observing how long the bowl took to fill with water. Although water clocks were more useful than sundials, they could be used indoors, during the night, and also when the sky was cloudy, they were not accurate. The Greeks, therefore, sought a way to improve their water clocks. Although still not as accurate as sundials, Greek water clocks became more accurate around 325 BC, and they were adapted to have a face with an hour hand, making the reading of the clock more precise and convenient. One of the more common problems in most types of water clocks was caused by water pressure. When the container holding the water was full, the increased pressure caused the water to flow more rapidly. This problem was addressed by Greek and Roman horologists beginning in 100 BC, and improvements continued to be made in the following centuries. To counteract the increased water flow, the clock's water containers, usually bowls or jugs, were given a conical shape positioned with a wide end up. A greater amount of water had to flow out in order to drop the same distance as when the water was lower in the cone. Along with this improvement, clocks were constructed more elegantly in this period with hours marked by gongs, doors opening to miniature figurines, bells, or moving mechanisms. There were some remaining problems, however, which were never solved, such as the effect of temperature. Water flows more slowly when cold, or may even freeze. Although the Greeks and Romans did much to advance water clock technology, they still continued to use shadow clocks. The mathematician and astronomer Theodos of Bithynia, for example, it is said to have invented a universal sundial that was accurate anywhere on Earth, though little is known about it. During the reign of the Emperor Augustus, the Romans constructed the largest sundial ever built, the Solarium Augusti. Its gnome was an oblique from Helipolis. Similarly, the oblique from Campus Meritus was used as the gnomon for Augustus's zodiacal sundial. Pliny the Elder records that the first sundial in Rome arrived in 264 BC, looted from Cantania, Sicily. According to him, it gave the incorrect time until the markings and angle appropriate for Rome's latitude were used one century later. It is not specifically known where and when candle clocks were first used. However, their earliest mention comes from a Chinese poem written in 520, 
According to the poem, the graduated candle was a means of determining time at night. Similar candles were used in Japan until the early 10th century. The candle clock most commonly mentioned and written of is attributed to King Alfred the Great. It consists of six candles made from 72 pennyweights of wax, each 12 inches high and of uniform thickness, marked every inch. As these candles burned for about four hours, each mark represented about 20 minutes. Once lit, the candles were placed in wooden frame glass boxes to prevent the frame, flame from extinguishing. In addition to water, mechanical, and candle clocks, incense clocks were used in the Far East and were fashioned in several different forms. Incense clocks were first used in China around the 6th century. In Japan, one still exists, although its characters are not Chinese, but the Vagaria. Due to their frequent use of the Vagaria characters, suggests of the use in Buddhist ceremonies. It is speculated that the incense clocks were invented in India. Although similar to the candle clock, incense clocks burned evenly and without a flame. Therefore, they were more accurate and safer for indoor use. Several types of incense clocks have been found. The most common forms include the incense stick and incense seal. In Japan, a geisha was paid for the number of senkodoki, or incense sticks, that had been consumed while she was present a practice which continued until the year 1924. Incense seal clocks were used for similar occasions and events as the stick clock. While religious purposes were of primary importance, these clocks were also popular at social gatherings and were used by Chinese scholars and intellectuals. The seal was a wooden or stone disc with one or more grooves etched into it into which the incense was placed. These clocks were common in China but were produced in fewer numbers in Japan. Sundials were further developed by Muslim astronomers as ancient dials were notice based with straight hour lines. They indicated unequal hours, also called temporary hours, that varied with the seasons. Every day was divided into 12 equal segments 
regardless of the time of year. Thus hours were shorter in the winter and longer in the summer. The idea of using hours of equal length throughout the year was the innovation of Abu Hassan Ibn al-Shamtir in the year 1371 based on earlier developments in trigonometry. Al-Shatir was aware that using a gnome that is parallel to the Earth's axis will produce sundials whose hour lines indicate equal hours on any day of the year. His sundial is the oldest polar axis sundial still in existence. The concept appeared in Western sundials starting in the year 1446. Following the acceptance of heliocentrism and equal hours, as well as advances in trigonometry, sundials appeared in their present form during the Renaissance when they were built in large numbers. In 1524, the French astronomer Ornis Fine constructed an ivory sundial which still exists. Later, in 1570, the Italian astronomer Giovanni Padovani published a treatise including instructions for the manufacture and laying out of vertical and horizontal sundials. The Portuguese navigator, Ferdinand Magellan, used 18 hourglasses on each ship during his circumnavigation of the globe in the year 1522. Since the hourglass was one of the few reliable methods of measuring time at sea, it is speculated that his has been used on board ships as far back as the 11th century, when it would have complemented the magnetic compass as an aid to navigation. From the 5th century onwards, hourglasses were used in a wide range of applications at sea, in churches, in industry, and in cooking. Hourglasses were the first dependable, reusable, reasonably accurate, and easily constructed time measurement devices. The hourglass also took on symbolic meanings, such as that of death, temperance, opportunity, and father time, usually represented as a bearded old man. Though also used in China, the hourglass's history there is still unknown. Clocks encompass a wide spectrum of devices, 
ranging from wristwatches to the clock of the long now. The English word clock is said to derive from the Middle, e Middle English cloak, Old North French cloak, or Middle Dutch clock, all of which mean bell and are derived from the medieval Latin klokoa, also meaning bell. Indeed, bells were used to mark the passage of time. They marked the passage of the hours at sea and also in abbeys. Throughout history, clocks have had a variety of power usages, including gravity, springs, and electricity. The invention of mechanical clockwork itself is usually credited to the Chinese official Liang Lingzan and monk Ya Ying. However, mechanical clocks were not widely used in the West until the 14th century. Clocks were used in medieval monasteries to keep the regulated schedule of prayers. The clocks continued to be improved with their first pendulum clock being designed and built in the 17th century by Christian Huygens, a Dutch scientist. The earliest medieval clock makers in Europe were Christian monks. Medieval religious institutions required clocks because daily prayer and work schedules were strictly regulated. This was done by various types of time-telling and recording devices, such as water clocks, sundials, and marked candles, probably used in combination. When mechanical clocks were used, they were wound at least twice a day to ensure accuracy. Important times and durations were broadcast by bells, rung either by hand or by mechanical device, such as falling weight or rotating beater. As early as 850, Archdeacon of Verona constructed a water clock. The religious necessities and the technical skill of the medieval monks were critical factors in development of clocks. The monks also counted skillful clockmakers among them. The first recorded clock was built by the future Pope Sylvester II for the German town of Magdeburg around the year 996. Much more sophisticated clocks were built later by monks. Peter Lightfoot, the 14th century monk of Glastonbury, built one of the oldest clocks still in existence, which now sits in excellent condition in London's Science Museum. Salisbury Cathedral Clock 
dating from about 1386, is the oldest working clock in the world, still with most of its original parts. It has no dial, and its purpose was to strike a bell at a precise time. The wheels and gears are mounted in an open, box-like iron frame, measuring about 1.2 meters, or 3.9 feet square. The framework is held together with metal dowels and pegs, and the escapement is the verge and foliate type, standard for clocks of this age. The power is supplied by two large stones hanging from pulleys. As the weights fall, ropes unwind from the wooden barrels. One barrel drives the main wheel, which is regulated by escapement and other drives the striking mechanism, and the air brake. Peter Lightfoot Wells Cathedral Clock, constructed in circa 1390, is also of note. The dial represents a geocentric view of the universe, with the sun and moon revolving around a centrally fixed earth. It is unique in having its original medieval face, showing a philosophical model of the pre-Copernican universe. Above the clock is a set of figurines, which hit the bells, and a set of jousting knights who will revolve around the track every 15 minutes. The clock was converted to a pendulum and anchor escapement in the 17th century and was installed in London's Science Museum in 1884, where it continues to operate to this day. One clock that has not survived to the present day is that of the Abbey of St. Albans, built by the 14th century abbot Richard of Wallingford. It may have been destroyed during Henry VIII's dissolution of the monasteries, but the abbot's notes on its design have allowed a full-scale reconstruction as well as keeping time, the astronomical clock could accurately predict lunar eclipses and may have shown the sun, moon, stars, and its planets, as well as a wheel of fortune and an indicator of the state of the tide at the London Bridge. It was a clock that equaled in its technology of sophistication that did not appear for at least two centuries. Giovanni di Dondi was another early mechanical clockmaker 
whose clock did not survive, but has been replicated based on design. Didondi's clock was a seven-face construction with 107 moving parts showing the position of the sun, moon, and five planets, as well as religious feast days. Around this period, mechanical clocks were introduced into abbeys and monasteries to mark important events and times, gradually replacing water clocks, which had served the same purpose. During the Middle Ages, clocks were primarily used for religious purposes. The first employed for secular timekeeping emerged around the 15th century. In Dublin, the official measurement of time became a local custom, and by 1466, a public clock stood atop the Thosel, the city court and council chamber. It was probably the first of its kind in Ireland and would have had an hour hand. The increasing lavishness of castles led to the introduction of turret clocks. In 1435, examples survived from Leeds Castle its face decorated with the images of the crucifixion of Jesus, Mary, and St. George. Clock towers in Western Europe and the Middle Ages were also sometimes striking clocks. The most famous original striking clock still standing is possibly St. Mark's clock on the top of St. Mark's Clark Tower in St. Mark's Square of Venice. Assembled in 1493 by the clockmaker Gian Carlo Ranieri for Reggio Amalia. In 1497, Simone Campantorio molded the great bells that every definite time lapse is beaten by two mechanical bronze statues. Possibly earlier is the Prague astro astronomical clock that according to other sources was assembled as early as 1410 by clockmakers and mathematicians. The allegorical parade of animated sculptures rings on the hour every day. Early clock dials did not use minutes and seconds. A clock with minutes dials is mentioned in 1475 manuscript and clocks indicating minutes and seconds existed in Germany in the 15th century. Timepieces, which indicated minutes and seconds, were occasionally made from this time on, but this was not common until the increase in accuracy made possible by the pendulum clock, and in watches, 
the spiral balance spring. The 16th century astronomer Tycho Brahe used clocks with minutes and seconds to observe stellar positions. Innovations to mechanical clocks continue with miniaturization leading to domestic clocks in the 15th century and personal watches incredibly in the 16th century. In 1580s, the Italian Galileo Galilei investigated the regular swing of the pendulum and discovered that it could be used to regulate a clock. Although Galileo studied the pendulum as early as 1582, he never actually constructed a clock based on that design. The first pendulum clock was designed and built by Dutch scientist Christian Huygens in 1656. Earlier versions aired by less than one minute per day and later ones only by 10 seconds per day. Very accurate for their time. The Jesuits were another major contributor to the development of pendulum clocks in the 17th and 18th centuries, having had an unusually keen appreciation of the importance of precision. In measuring an accurate one-second pendulum, for example, the Italian astronomer Father Giovanni Passati Riccoli persuaded nine fellow Jesuits to count nearly 87,000 oscillations in a single day. They served a crucial role in spreading and testing the scientific ideas of the time period and collaborated with contemporary scientists such as Huygens. The modern long case clock, also known as the grandfather clock, has had its origins in the invention of the anchor escapement mechanism about 1670. Before then, pendulum clocks used the older verge escapement mechanism, which required very wide pendulum swings of about 100 degrees. To avoid the need for a very large case, most clocks using verge escapement had a short pendulum. An anchor mechanism, however, reduced the pendulum's necessary swing to between four and six degrees, allowing clockmakers to use longer pendulums with consequently slower beats. These required less power to move, caused less friction and wear, and were more accurate than their shorter predecessors. Most long case clocks, or grandfather clocks, use a pendulum about a meter or 39 inches long to the center of the bob with each swing taking one second. This requirement for height along with the need for a long drop space for the weights that power the clock gave rise to the tall narrow case. 
1675, 18 years after inventing the pendulum clock, Huygens devised the spiral balance spring for the balance wheel of pocket watches, an improvement on the straight spring invented by English natural philosopher Robert Hooke. This resulted in a great advance in accuracy of pocket watches from, from perhaps several hours per day to 10 minutes per day. This was similar to the effect of the pendulum upon mechanical clocks. The first professional clockmakers came from the guilds of locksmiths and jewelers. Clock making developed from specialized craft into mass production industry over many years. Paris was the early center of clock making in France. French clockmakers such as Julien Leroy, the clockmaker of Versailles, were leaders in case design and ornamental clocks. Leroy belonged to the fifth generation, a family of clockmakers, and was described by his contemporaries as the most skillful clockmaker in France, possibly in all of Europe. He invented special repeating mechanisms which improved the precision of clocks and watches a face that could be opened to view the inside clockwork and made or supervised over 3,500 watches. The competition and scientific rivalry resulting from his discoveries further encouraged researchers to seek new methods of measuring time more accurately. Between 1794 and 1795, in the aftermath of the French Revolution, the French government briefly mandated decimal clocks with a day divided into 10 hours of 100 minutes each. The astronomer and mathematician Pierre-Simon Laplace, among other individuals, modified the dial of his pocket watch to decimal time. A clock in the Palace des Tuileries kept decimal time as late as 1801, but the cost of replacing all of France's clocks prevented decimal clocks from becoming widespread. Because decimalized clocks only help astronomers rather than ordinary citizens, it was one of the most unpopular changes associated with the metric system and was abandoned. In Germany, Nuremberg and Augsburg were the early clockmaking centers and the Black Forest came to specialize in wooden cuckoo clocks. The English became the prominent clockmaker of the 17th and 18th centuries. In 1802, British philosopher William Paley applied the analogy of a watch's design to the idea that creation is designed and therefore must have a designer. Switzerland established itself as the clockmaking center following the influx of Huguenot craftsmen and in the 19th century, the Swiss industry gained worldwide supremacy in high quality machine-made watches. 
The leading firm of the day was Patik Philippe, founded by Antonio Patik of Warsaw and Adrian Philippe of Bern. In 1904, Alberto Sanis Dumont, an early aviator, asked his friend, a French watchmaker named Louis Cartier, to design a watch that would be useful during his flights. The wristwatch had already been invented, but only as a lady's bracelet watch intended as jewelry. As pocket watches were unsuitable, Cartier created the Santos wristwatch, the first man's wristwatch designed for practical use. Wristwatches gained in popularity during World War I when officers found them to be more convenient than pocket watches in battle. Also, because the pocket watch was mainly a middle-class item, the enlisted men usually owned wristwatches, which they bought with them. Artillery and infantry officers depended on their watches as battles became more complicated and coordinated attacks became necessary. Wristwatches were found to be needed in the air as much as on the ground. Military pilots found them more convenient than pocket watches for the same reason. Eventually, army contractors manufactured watches in mass for both the infantry and pilots. In World War II, the A-11 was a popular watch among American airmen with its simple black face and clear white numbers for easy readability. The piezoelectric property of the crystalline quartz were discovered by Jacques and Pierre Curie in 1880. The first quartz crystal oscillator was built by Walter G. Caddy in 1921, and in 1927, the first quartz clock was built by Warren Marison and J.W. Horton at Bell Laboratories in Canada. The following decades saw the development of quartz clocks as precision time measurement devices in laboratory settings. The bulky and delicate counting electronics built with vacuum tubes limited their practical use elsewhere. In 1932, a quartz clock able to measure small weekly variations in the rotation rate of the Earth was developed. The National Bureau of Standards based the time standard on the United States on quartz clocks from late 1929 until the 1960s when it changed to atomic clocks. In 1969, Seiko produced the world's first quartz wristwatch, the Astron. The inherent accuracy and low cost of production has resulted in the subsequent proliferation of quartz clocks and watches. Atomic clocks are the most accurate timekeeping devices known to date, accurate to within a few seconds over many thousands of years. They are calibrated, other clocks, and timekeeping instruments. The first atomic clock invented in 1949, is on display at the Smithsonian Institution. It was based on the absorption line in the ammonium molecule, but most are now based on the spin property of the cesium atom. 
the International System of Units standardized its unit of time, the second, on the properties of cesium in 1967. SI defines the second as 9,192,631,770 cycles of the radiation which corresponds to the transition between two electron spin energy levels of the ground state of the cesium atom. The cesium atomic clock, maintained by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, is accurate to 30 billionths of a second per year. Atomic clocks have employed other elements, such as hydrogen and rubidium vapor, offering greater stability. And in the case of hydrogen clocks, and smaller size, lower power consumptions, and thus lower costs. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet? Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.